She was a comely young woman, and not without prospects. Therefore it was heartbreaking to her mother that she would enter into marriage with Thomas Teveney, a known podcaster and plugger, a man who notoriously tells the audience to subscribe to Haven't Seen It on Apple and Spotify, to follow us on social media, at Seen It Pod. When she died, it was not at his hands, as her mother might have suspected, but of smallpox. That was 1878, and this week's film, Unforgiven. Haven't Seen It, with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenet. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening to us today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And this week, is it both of us again, Tommy? Yeah, both of us again. Uh, I've never seen this movie either, so... (laughs) So, yeah, this week's Unforgiven, our first Western we're covering on the podcast. Tommy, what is your favorite Western? So we, we were just talking about this before we started recording. Um, Western's never a genre I got super into. Um, so I mean, you have to go with like Django Unchained, uh, very like straightforward right there. Hateful Eight, obviously up there, too, for Tarantino. Um, and then Back to the Future 3, uh, it counts. <laughs> But it's not a good movie. Ah, but, uh, it's inter- entertaining enough. <laughs> well, didn't, didn't you go see it in theaters? Uh, so I went to go uh, over the weekend to go see Back to the Future in theaters. And they were doing a marathon of one, two, and three. I couldn't go to three because uh, I had worked at that point. And I skipped out on the screen of two because I was like, I just want to take a nap. <laughs> one hit. And I was like, okay, I got to like, the, experience the highs of one. After that, I was like, I I don't need to stick around for the others. <laughs> see, I love two because it's just so zany and it's it's like a perfect time travel like that is a perfect time travel movie in terms of like jumping instances the first back to the future kind of just stays in 19 it's 1985 then 1955 this one jumps all around the cal the clock and kind of like deals with all the issues that you'd actually have with time travel i i would have stayed for two i would have left after three because i think it's it's so far and away diminishes the quality like the quality i I, I don't think i don't think it's I don't think it's like a Spider-Man three type scenario. I um, think it's, it's a. Bad. I think it's absolutely a Spider-Man three scenario. Damn, that much. Um, well, I mean, two. Don't get me wrong. I really love two too. Um, also, but it was just at the point where I was like, I'm gonna fall asleep if I stick around for two. So, <laughs> sleep one out at this point. <laughs> what time? What time was the screening at? The first, the well, the screening of one was at 11 a.m. on a Saturday. And at like two o'clock, you were just too exhausted to watch another well, movie. I I had I had work, and I was just like, ah, I don't know. I kind of want to take a nap before work. <laughs> was it a good nap, or it was like thirty minutes? It was fine. <laughs> Did you actually nap, or was it one of those like you know when you lie in your bed nap and like you just close no your no eyes, no? But I, you I, never I pa- nap. I passed out. I passed out at one point. I woke up and I was like, oh shit! <laughs> so full I, nap. <laughs> I have watched. <laughs> enough movies with tommy and we were watching heat one time and we could still cover heat because tommy fell asleep throughout the entire thing during the (laughs) infamous bank heist of heat where it is like assault rifles like just drilling everywhere this man is snoring and i have no idea how a human being could possibly sleep during that scene so yeah i I get it it, it, i hit the brakes uh, hard right there (laughs) 
And you know what? On, honestly, polite of you to not snore for an audience of paying moviegoers. Yeah. I, I was thinking of the people. Yeah. So, I mean, I got my pick with the DeLorean. We posted on our social media. It was fun. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad, you had a, I'm glad you had a good time. But now it's time for Unforgiven. Unforgiven. Critics call it a great Western. One of the year's best films. Joel Siegel, Good Morning America. Classic, majestic, passionate. Richard Corliss, Time Magazine. Stunning, powerful. David Hansen, Newsweek. Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, Richard Harris. Unforgiven. You just shot an unarmed man. Well, he should have armed himself. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. In this week's film, Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood plays, you guessed it, a cowboy named William Money, who's out searching for one last score. The film also features prostitutes, God, and Lex Luthor, all mixed in a town called Big Whiskey. The film ends with Clint Eastwood riding off into the sunset. So Tommy, for someone like you who's kind of not a Western buff, I'm not by any means, but I would probably be considered a Western buff compared to you based on what I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> what were your, th- is this like your first Clint Eastwood movie? No, no. I've seen like the dirt, uh, dirty Harry, uh, the first and one it, and the last uh, one. I so. meant and, uh, for your first... for a Western. Yes. For, for my first Clint Eastwood Western, this would be my first Clint Eastwood uh, Western. Um, and I got to admit, I knew that this was like, you know, more of a serious movie because it won best picture and everything, but I kind of expected almost a little bit more of an action movie at points. And this was almost the deconstruction of a whole genre right here, which I wasn't really expecting at all because I went kind of (laughs) blind. Yeah, I went in blind too. And then afterwards I watched, because it was on HBO Max. If if you're listening to this and you want to check this movie out, it's on HBO. And there was like a thing, like an homage to Clint Eastwood's uh, career. And I mean, it it wasn't just like some schlubby guys talking about it. It was... James Mangold, um, Scorsese appears for like two or three, Kevin Costner, they pulled Gene Hackman, like they pulled like a lot of people to discuss his career and how Unforgiven is essentially the pinnacle of his career in terms of what for somebody that has, because he started out on Gunsmoke or one of those shows in the 60s and was basically like the third or fourth choice for the good, the bad and the ugly. And like he didn't really want to do it because he was such a traditional Western fan like that was what he grew up watching like yeah. you're, you're the john wayne cowboys but he ended up doing the spaghetti westerns which was like the revitalization of that genre because after like the searchers i want to say if westerns kind of died off a little bit in the united states and well then, especially yeah uh, what well, you're saying back in the 60s yeah like the late 50s early 60s it wasn't as prep for like that genre dominated the first half of the cent the 20th century in terms of like films being made mm-hmm. and it, ju- it just kind of lost interest here and then the the spaghetti western this kind of like this foreigner's take on the wild west kind of really brought interest into it and clint was obviously on the forefront of it and then he was able to start building up his career as an actor there doing the um a trilogy with uh sergio leone and then was able to start directing his own movies as well. And all of these points with him starring in in these movies and then to starting to direct them like led to this moment. It's seen as the culmination of his career as a Western. Because I don't he hasn't really done a traditional Western ever since. 
Well, he said that um, this was uh, going to be his last Western because uh, he felt that any Western after this would just be kind of like a retread or just aping someone else's like work or something like that. I mean, he did a movie uh, recently that was kind of more of like a modern day Western. So I guess it doesn't count. No. Yeah. It's like repurposing a uh... cry macho is what I'm talking about. It's a uh, neo Western. So, I mean, he technically, you know, stayed true to his tone, but I mean, uh, it depends how much you care about this. So, <laughs> yeah, how, how, how much your schematics are going to be about that? Crazy how this movie came into the hands of Clint Eastwood in general, where um, he didn't write this movie. Um, this movie actually was first written in 1976. So, like, almost right in the middle of his run of, like, you know, being, like, Dirty Harry and then, like, the Sergio Leone stuff. I mean, like, I, I imagine that trilogy didn't end that much longer after 1976. It was ended way before 1976. This is when he was doing, like, his own movies like the outlaw josie wales was 1976 that was the first movie he directed and starred in and then from there he did no that's play misty for me what that's play misty for me was the first movie directed oh well (laughs) well first like i don't know anyways yeah yeah um but yeah so he's basically in the middle of his run just finishing all but meanwhile this was not really thought about about um things to himself but david wet peoples he's written blade runner um 12 monkeys to list some credits and he wrote in 1976 the first titles were the william money killings and the cut horror killings and a lot of people turned away because of the titles because it was just a shitty title for both of those options <laughs> unforgiven is a much better title <laughs> for sure the first person who caught interest of it was francis for coppola the godfather uh creator himself and he optioned the screenplay but couldn't get it off the ground and his option expired in 1985. Clint Eastwood then grabbed it. And Eastwood at first didn't read the script at all and thought like, oh, this is probably a pile of trash because his longtime associate at the time, Sonia uh, Chernus, she told him, we would have been far better off not to accept a trash like this piece of inferior work. I can't think of one good thing to say about it, except maybe get rid of it fast. Immediately, Eastwood just thought like, okay, like I, I trust her judgment. He just like didn't read the script for a while. He's looking out for town on a different project, and then he uh, came across the script again. He read it, he loved it, and he liked it so much he wanted to play the lead. So he's like, "Let me push this back a little bit until I'm old enough to play the character." And then there you go. Then eventually you say, "Okay, we're doing this." And this is shot in what ninety one. Probably shot ninety ninety one. Came out ninety two. Uh, I don't know the exact filming dates of the movie, but I could see why her for somebody like Clint Eastwood. And not super well versed in all of his the westerns that he directed and and wrote and starred in, like I could see why somebody that's very familiar with the western genre wouldn't like this script on on a whim, because the crux of this movie and like the the overall theme is that like like the challenge of taking a life, the cost of it that weighs on you over time, right? Like I I think there's a really good clip here with um what's the young kid's name again shit <laughs> you know who i'm talking about um yeah yeah the kid who gets the one. show the showfield kid yeah I... and this is right near the end of the um near the end of the uh, end of the movie they finally killed the second bandit here and this is him discussing the first time he, he killed a man it don't seem real I ain't gonna never breathe again, ever. That was dead. And the other one, too. 
All on account of pulling the trigger. It's a hell of a thing, killing a man. You take away all he's got, and all he's ever gonna have. Yeah. Well, I guess they had it coming. We all have it coming. So he follows that up, um, the Showfield kid saying, like, he's done. He's never killing another man. And his character the whole time is very cocky, arrogant, talking about how much, how he's killed five men before, how he's looking to do it. But honestly, he's scared. And there's even a moment with Ned Logan, uh, Morgan Freeman's character, who was Clint's partner throughout the, through, you know, back when he was a bandit. That like the, when they're trying to kill the first guy and he has the rifle there and he just can't take the shot like he injured him, but he just can't take the shot with the rifle because it, it's the weight of the action and yeah. like the mental part of it that I feel like ha- it totally escaped Westerns. It, it totally could have gone a direction of like a typical action movie or maybe even like a cheaper low-rent uh, western where um, Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman are these old badasses that come into town but we've seen that movie a hundred times and that would just be boring and you know, just the same old thing. This time it's just a movie that really breathes and you feel the weight of almost every single death in this movie like it literally just like a character gets shot and you're going to hear them talk about it for a little bit so I don't think you know I was shocked that even in, in that scene right there where um Morgan Freeman, like after they like, shoot the guy, and Clint tells the guy, "I'm not going to shoot any else other of you. Give the guy some water that I just like shot Gil." So it just shows, just like, yeah, this is fucking not fun. This is brutal. <laughs> That's what I found very weird about the movie because the whole movie is about like the weight of killing a man, and just for background, because we didn't really cover what the movie's about. Um, there's a uh, one. The movie opens with a prostitute getting her face butchered because she laughed at one of the cowboys in their dick size or something. And the prostitutes band together $1,000, and it's called The Prostitute's Gold. And the cowboys are coming into town, including English Bob. You have a lot of people chasing after this money. And the town sheriff, Little Bill, he wants nothing to do with it, and he wants to stop it immediately. And Clint, you know... he's really washed up at this point he he met the love of his life who died of smallpox in 1878 as mentioned in the opening of this podcast and you know he's washed up like when he starts to go on this quest he can barely get on the saddle of his horse right like he it's it's kind of stark just showing i mean like it's how he's like able to show himself so like essentially pathetic his character in the beginning where it's just like you couldn't imagine john wayne doing a role like this at all you know, John would be too boastful about it to like show himself be that vulnerable. I feel. <laughs> oh, for uh, sure, and that like that's what you have to give Clint props for. But in contrast, at the end, he is the gunslinging badass that we all yeah. expected. <laughs> and it, I feel like it almost takes like it's a really cool moment. It's real, really well shot. Like the action is great at the end there because the movie kind of just like plat. It, there's really very little action except for like one sided fights essentially until mm-hmm. the end where it's just a straight up shootout 
uh, and a one-sided shootout. It ends the way that you expect a Western to end, almost, in a way, with the shootout. <laughs> and even then, it's still different. <laughs> Is it, though? Because, like, it, it almost takes away from the punch. Like, these are, like, that clip we just played and Bill Money starting to go off in the bar are, like, five minutes apart. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the whole thing about the weight of killing a man. And once he discovers that little Bill captured uh, Ned and and tor- and tortured him and killed him and had him on display at the bar outside in a coffin he was just like no because he respect he, i guess you know friendship is a big deal for him so he's like i don't have many friends kid and well I, it, it's just like you but you, you get what i mean where it's just like you have all these moments about like the weight of killing somebody and then the movie ends with him just like slaughtering everybody with zero remorse well the you, uh, that is the fact that his character just essentially just reverting back into his old ways in a way but i mean even then after the killing or even when like gene hackman's essentially dead on the floor they still have a moment to talk about just like the Saul rubinet character where it's just like he's just inquisitive he's bought up into the myth of the old west where he's just like this grand old thing and he's like so like How'd you know which one to kill first? The one with the best shot, and Clint Eastwood just like, I don't know. I just shot the. I guess I was just lucky. <laughs> um, so it's just even that. Just like they're still talking about it, and still just like trying to feel the weight a little bit. You still feel it. And Gene Hackman, even when he gets killed in the end, he just says, "I don't deserve this." Like you know, I was building a house, and that's his final sh- lines right before he gets shot in the fucking face by it. <laughs> I love, I actually, one of the jokes that I do love that they kind of build out throughout the script is little Bill building his house. And the first time you see it, like the barkeep comes down to tell him that, that he's discovered that the prostitutes put a, put a, a, a bounty out and you just see him building it. And then you just hear and later scene, you hear some of the deputies being like, yeah, he's the worst carpenter you've ever met. And then, uh, the writer, uh, Boochamp, Saul Rubinek's character, like they're in the house when it's pouring and there's just leaking everywhere. Like it is such a <laughs> shittily made house. And he's like, you should kill the contractor. And he look, looks at him like, what do you mean kill the contract? Like, it's very <laughs> funny. The, the the Like I thought that was a nice, like well-placed joke in there, which the movie does intertwine those moments of of levity into it which i th- which i think definitely helps because it has a very stern tone to it throughout or even when red's like do you ever go into town looking for a woman and he's like no and he's like so what do you use your hand <laughs> just breaking it up right there um it, it, it is kind of funny where just like that um you know some seems levity of like where clint eastwood saw the one girl it's like i'm not gonna sleep with you but not because of your face but because of my wife and if there's anyone else trying to sleep with me, then I'd be like, no, too. It's just Clint Eastwood's character is just awkward, and you can tell he just doesn't know how to interact with people, essentially. He's just been, you know, essentially isolated with only his kids right there. Even when he's trying to give out the monologue to his kids about, like, how, you know, I did this thing back then, and uh, you're going to see this and all that. And it's just kind of, it's almost like the rambling, you know, that, you know, we all think of that meme now. <laughs> yeah, that that was like the most jarring part of the movie. And like I get it, it was just to kind of like give an expose on his character and his warmth. But like you had this like very classic Western, like light music behind it, 
and like the girl staring off and like i'm thinking in my head i'm like does, does he end up riding off with her right like the like the the scarred woman he's like well i guess both of us are scarred too like he has like one scar around his eye she's got cuts and blades like all over her face like completely <laughs> neutered yeah and, and there, he's like yeah i guess i'm just like you too it's like i think a cowboy with a little mark around his eyes fine i think a, a prostitute in the 1800s <laughs> might be a little harder life maybe Probably, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't alive back then, but that would be my estimation. It's one of those settings, the Wild West, I guess because it was just done in such rapid succession for the first half of the 20th century that it, it almost burnt people out. And it it's almost limited in what you can do with it. But it it's easily the most American genre well because the the wild west is the most american part of our entire history like they're like distinctly american there is no other period with this much technology available in any other part of the world that i'm aware of you know let me know at fire our manfred on twitter there is no way like there's nothing like it where you have all this opportunity for wealth and all these people coming out there for the wealth and no true law enforcement out there other than marshals that have a law code they have to follow, but nothing like written in stone. And I think it just, it sets itself for so many different stories because the vast array of characters that you'll get in that setting yeah, is crazy when you think about it. And it's just, it, it's, it's so unique. It's so unique because you have the... Like, it's very, it seems very distant, but it's like, you also think of like the sets, the towns, like the wooden things like that everything's built off of. Like you don't see that anywhere else in any part of the world or any other time period. I want I want to touch upon the set design in general right here for this movie, because I mean, that's one thing that you expect a lot of Westerns, great like locations and stuff like that. This was filmed in a remote ranch in Alberta, Canada. So, you know, not the Wild West, but you know, yeah, so whatever. Open mountains, you take what you get. So Henry Bum said he was the production designer. He had to build the whole town of Big Whiskey, like the main town in the movie, from the ground up. And it wasn't just like he just did cheap little sets. Like he essentially built the whole town. All the freaking like interiors were extensive from like top to bottom. And he only had two months to build the whole town. And it was just an intense workaround. And he did a great job right here because it looks like really just like a perfect Western setting, you know? Yeah, the, the town of Little Whiskey is great. You know, I've been watching Deadwood lately, and like in terms of like that lawlessness, it just like resonates in my mind. When you have a marshal like Little Bill, who is really who is talented, and is the he's the antagonist, and the other I think the other dis- deconstruction is when you think of westerns, there's the good guy, maybe the cowboy, the bandit, and then the bad guy, right? It's either like the marsh, you know, the marshal, the cowboy, or whatever. But he's going against somebody that's easily vilified in this movie little bill is the marshal and he has his moments he's very gene hackman is terrific in this he won the academy award for 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 best supporting actor what's crazy is that he like first turned it down because he was so concerned about the violence again it's like another person right here where he like that was so excessive violence eastwood needed to reassure him and hackman was like saying at first he's like i swore i'll never be involved in a picture of this much violence in it but the more uh, i read about it the more I came to understand it, the purpose of the film, the more I became fascinated I became. So he's slowly just letting himself get into it. And 
he put on a great, amazing performance to, to the point where he practically almost reprised the role like two years later and put the dead in a very similar setting Western movie. Well, he, it, was was the, it, was the, it was the, it was the, it was, no, he wasn't, no, he was Wyatt Earp in that, I believe. No, no, no. Um, that's, a, you're thinking of a different movie. And Quick and the Dead, he was uh, the same thing where he was like the sheriff of the town and he was just the one that like took, you know, was very ruthless with his town and like how he took over. So. Ruthless to enforce peace is essentially what his, methods were and we see that when one of the i i loved little bill richard harris like it was such an awesome performance he comes in talking such a big game the duck of death right like he has like that's how we're introduced to the writer Bo champ saul rubinek's character because he's following him around writing his stories to kind of make novels or whatever for back east where the west is just a myth to them yeah. and he was a total huckster and like his big claim to fame little bill was in the room for and it, it didn't go the way it was and and he ends up arresting him there's a scene where he's explaining to to Beauchamp the power of a gun and how to and like how to kill somebody and he's like you can take this gun shoot me and go it's such a chilling performance i i love this scene so much what if what if i gave it to him Give it to him. <laughs> you, don't, you don't really want me to give it to him. You don't want it, Mr. Beauchamp. Real quick before we go into it, uh, for people that, uh, you know, this is an audio podcast, so if you just heard them just grunting at Richard Harris there for a little bit, but to explain the scene a little bit, uh, basically Richard Harris just gained the gun. He's given the gun by Gene Hackman, and he's just like, shoot me, just do it. And immediately just can't bring himself to it. <laughs> well, he can't bring himself to it because little Bill just puts his hand on his pistol. And knows that he's gonna lose because he's not as quick of a draw as he claims to be. Yeah, he immediately Gene Hackman's calling out his bluff right there. So it is just very tense little scene where I mean, with no words, you just feel just like the intimidation factor that Gene Hackman does, where he pretty much just makes Richard Harris this fucking like bitch right there. <laughs> and even when the first meeting between uh, William Money mm-hmm. and Little Bill at the bar, where the boys are up getting some free ones, Ned and and the Showfield kid getting the information about the bounty. Clint's sitting at the bar and he's shivering. He's weak. Like he he's got the flu or some something from riding in the rain. And Gene just beats the shit out of him. He like he like crushes him in a fight. It was like Clint didn't even get a hit in on him. Yeah. 
there's a there's a point in the movie after that scene where like I legitimately was wondering, is this gonna be like a million dollar baby type scenario? I mean, spoiler, where the main character like just dies midway through the movie. Like I legit thought, like, are we is this gonna be like the fucking just like anti like the bummer ending where it's just like, oh, I guess Showfield the kid take takes it over from here. Because you legitimately think like he they give you a few scenes where it's just like it lets you feel the weight of like what just happened to him right there, where like they don't immediately be like, Oh, Clint Eastwood just got back up and he was just fine, you know. He really just felt the injuries right there, and he needed like fucking. It was like what, like a week or so in the movie. Yeah, he was right. That's when they bring him out to the cabin and they rest him. But the town had a no gun ordinance, and Clint had a pistol on him. But he was just sitting there, not drinking, just sitting there dead sober. Little Bill had absolutely no right to do that to him, but he was so intent and ruthless on the fact that he was not going to let these two men be killed. And these prostit this prostitutes gold to be taken and claimed by these bandits that are that will bring them to this peaceful town, that he'll do anything to stop it. And it's like an interesting dynamic of it tests your mind of being like, is he right? Is he in the in this range? Like it, it's such like a broad mm-hmm. spectrum. But as the film progresses, like when they capture Ned and he's uh, whipping him. You see that even people like you see the faces of the other actors in the scene and like the deputies who are like kind of wincing and feel like he's going too far. Yeah. But he's the most powerful man in the town. You can't do anything about it. That's the thing about this movie. I mean, that yes, it is violent, but it's not violent in like torture porn saw movie or something like that. It's not really good like that. Where they instead just show the reactions of characters and just like I've been saying constantly throughout the episode, just show the weight of it. Just that's what just makes it a little bit more disturbing, a little bit more just like intense and just like oh my god, what is happening? Frequency, like you said, you're just watching the characters' reactions. You're not seeing like you know some like special effect of Morgan Freeman like bleeding or something like that. You know? Yeah, you're not seeing the rope hit the skin. Yeah, it's not like some RoboCop. <laughs> you're seeing the out. you're seeing the wincing and just like the reaction from it. It's an interesting dichotomy of what's right and wrong and it just goes back to like theoretically in the settled land like if somebody was too ruthless as a as a cop or a marshal sheriff whatever you want to call them they can be penalized for that we're out here they kind of have full reign if they have the quickest gun in the town i i think it makes for it makes for a really compelling story one that i didn't realize was going to be so strictly drama but definitely i definitely enjoyed it for what it was it's an interesting breakdown of the genre and like there's always been westerns that kind of come out here or there since this moment but it feels like the end of the western as a big genre in hollywood outside of like a special director or special story production that people are going to go to to be fair i think that this is already on its way out by the time this movie came out um, i mean like granted dance of wolves came out what like a year before this one also won best picture but That's two years ago two two years yeah. that was but those were two movies that like you know i mean i think the 90s had a little bit of a boom of westerns because you know yeah. you had the dead you had uh, tombstone. tombstone this movie dance of wolves like i just said i mean like it was a little bit of boom i mean after like this brief little period i think like the last one was 95 i just mentioned right there after that, I felt like Hollywood just was like, okay, now we're just going to go with the Western. There's definitely a drive here for a while. So, Tommy, you've never seen Tombstone, right? I think that was another one I passed out for. <laughs> so, we're, we're, we're covering Tombstone at some point, because I just rewatched it this weekend. I don't think I said what my favorite Western is. 
it's tombstone it's tombstone okay it's it's <laughs> it's so good yeah i've always mean to see it but uh next time yeah i am a star i'm a star i'm a star i'm a star i am a big bright shining star who is the star of this movie because it's it's weird with clint eastwood I, he's so good at playing the western cowboy that sometimes i hear his dialogue and i and i'm just like is he is he like tongue-in-cheek right now you know what i mean like it's just like he's been doing it for so long that it's like routine for him and it's it's like it's not even trying it's almost like a parody at this point i think of all the actors of like the main cast i think clint was probably my least favorite of them so, I mean, Clint did a great job of directing, and that's why, you know, you won Best Director. I mean, he was nominated for Best Actor, which, I don't know. It, it, like, it, it kind of said, he's like, almost just like a you know, typical Clint performance. And it was also just, like I said earlier, so many rambling. So I'm going to go with uh, Gene Hackman here instead. I think it's I think it's easily Gene Hackman. Hackman. Fact, Hack, Hackman, Hackman, whatever. They, the effect, like his effectiveness as a villain is so strong. Like it's yeah. so menacing, and it's from the p- position of the sheriff of the town, like the yeah. character that wouldn't necessarily be your antagonist in a movie, and the fact that he's able to so gradually ride that line from like, oh, this is the good sheriff in the town, to being like, oh, this guy is probably too ruthless for what he's doing to people. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice arc for his character, for for like the audience to be unveiled because he doesn't really have a character arc. It's more of just like the unveiling of the character's true intentions because he's finally being put to the test of like what he's willing to do to maintain peace we didn't really talk cover morgan freeman i thought he was fantastic as ned logan nice Mm -hmm. complimentary piece to clint the scene where he rides off after he fails to kill a man it's a lot of non-verbal performance from him but you could see it in his face and it's like it's really effective and even jamie wolf's as the showfield kid from the cocky, arrogant, young startup cowboy to a trembling kid who took his first life and is never going to do it again. That was like the most heart heartbreaking scene of the whole movie, right there. I mean, just there, and I, I kind of like teared up a little bit because just like just shows you, like, yeah, you think that I was joking earlier, this would be like the film that would show like the bros who want to go into war because they play Call of Duty and thought it'd be fun. It's just like no, like this is not what uh, Saul Rubinek's character is making up, like the biography of this. It's not like this whole grand romantic tale. It's hard, and it's it's gonna affect you. <laughs> Do you think the Showfield kid played Red Dead Redemption as just like I'm gonna be a cowboy, and then exactly. really had to struggle with it? Yeah. And and Richard Harris was just delightful in this. He really mm-hmm. was like English Bill. It brought so much levity to it, and like the fake British accent. And like the way you're introduced to him, you're not really sure who this guy is. It's kind of a weird detour where it's just like, what? All of a sudden, why were we introduced to this new character? Yeah, because it's like it's like 25 minutes without like Quint. Like it's just sitting big whiskey following English Bob. But you really you realize it's to show it's to showcase little Bill. And it's to yeah. showcase like what this guy, the length this guy is willing to go to maintain the peace. So uh, to close it up, though, but uh, like you're saying, Gene Hackman, I think, wins this. Uh, he's a starless movie. I mean, he, Easily. like I said he earlier, won the best, he, he won the best. He won the Oscar that year for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, and he practically replayed the role, like I said, two years later and like quickly did. So, clearly left his mark right here in this role. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka, waka. 
Tommy, would this work as a Muppet adaptation? It's interesting. It's interesting because it's a genre piece. I, I think it could. I mean, just make it just a must, um, you know, Muppet Western right here where I can imagine like a pratfall scene of like uh, Kermit being Clint Eastwood and he's like trying to get up on the horse, but the horse keeps bucking him around and just like he goes flying off the horse or something whoa, like whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like arms ah, Yeah, exactly. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Arms flying right there. Foggy would probably, would Foggy be uh, Fozzie. Gene Hackman? You're saying Foggy. No, oh, I think you keep. I think you. Yeah, I think you keep Gene Hackman as the only human in the movie. As the only human. <laughs> and Fozzie, Fozzie, I think would be English Bob. <laughs> I just imagine Gene Hackman just like slapping the shit out of this puppet. <laughs> it would be so. Fu- it would be so funny. And then, uh, oh, waka, Gonzo, waka. Gonzo is the Showfield kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Or. um I'm actually Fozzie being like, Waka Waka, America sucks, go Britain. <laughs> and then you have Sam the Eagle as Ned, and you got your primary cast filled out. Yeah, right there. And there you go. Yeah. I <laughs> listen, a, a Muppet Western would be awesome. Yeah. It's shocking we haven't gotten. <laughs> we'll get there. We're gonna get our puppets back on TV. Don't you worry. One day. So Tommy, review time. Give me your score. First time watching, you know, even though I was saying at the beginning of the pod that I was expecting more of an action movie, I think I actually kind of enjoyed the way it went uh, a lot more. Uh, this was a very compelling movie that just shows you the violence of everything and just like how it just it slows down and it's kind of a slow burn, but a good slow burn. Or it's just compelling to ride. It just really says, like, okay, what do we just do right here? And it's kind of just explains almost what just happens and how the characters are feeling in that moment after this extreme act of violence. Gene Hackman was a terrific villain right here. Uh, Clint Eastwood, even though I, you know, his acting wasn't my favorite at the time, so it was still a fun little role right there. So um, I'm going to give this a four out of five. Uh, really enjoyable movie. It's going to be a fun movie. Watch, I feel like. I'm going to echo your sentiments. I'm going to give this a four out of five as, a, as well. I mean, Little Bill is one of the great Western villains uh, I've ever personally seen. It's such an effective build up for him, and it's not like the big. You know, it's not the heavy that that's typical of a lot of a lot of westerns. Um, I think Clint's character follows an interesting arc of a cowboy that needs the money, who's turned away of how ruthless he was. He's completely shut it off, and him finding that switch again. Really nice moments of levity that kind of flourish throughout. You have really great direction from Clint there. You can feel his like effectiveness as a director. And how well he's able, because like I, I think some other director could have. This was two hours ten minutes. This could have been a two hour forty minute slog of a movie. Oh yeah, you can see this dragged down a lot. <laughs> you can see this being really dragged out, but it's not. It's nice, tight, quick to the point, which I really respect. So four out of five, Unforgiven, can definitely see why it won Best Picture. One Best Picture, and uh, we forgot to mention it celebrated its thirtieth anniversary. Um on august 7th which was yesterday as of this recording so <laughs> hell yeah all right tommy anything else you want to tell the audience all right guys thank you for uh listening again uh you can follow us on social media at scene pod and you can also uh we're on facebook uh, not facebook but twitter instagram and tiktok and uh you can also give us five stars on apple or spotify wherever you get your podcast really helps us out and next week we're covering uh dirty dancing uh timmy are you at the have a time of your life and i never felt this way before man
So yeah, get ready for that next week. It'll be a good one. We want to thank you all again so much for listening. We'll see you next week.